and it's not like Christians don't get afraid, but they've got someone to go to. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit, because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology, or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Before we start the show, I have something to share with you. If you or someone close to you is suffering from a sense of anxiety or loneliness, the truth is anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness, affecting 40 million adults in the United States every year alone. And according to a recent study, more than 60% of Americans report feeling lonely, left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. This matters a lot because loneliness is stressful enough to raise all-cause mortality by up to 30%. So I've written a free guide with 10 ways you can start to overcome anxiety and defeat your loneliness. Don't wait on positive emotions. Learn how to create them for yourself starting right now. You can grab the guide by heading over to drmartinfletcher.com. That's doctor spelled drmartinfletcher.com. Happy New Year, Marty. Happy New Year, Matt. 2021 is upon us. It is. It has descended. <laughs> it has. With a bang and a whimper, and, both. <laughs> and sunk its fangs into us. Seriously. Hey, this morning I was talking to one of the secretaries here, and she was talking to her daughter-in-law about the problems that her folks, her daughter-in-law's parents were having because they are so afraid of death. And this is a girl sharing who isn't actively practicing a faith that I'm aware of. But just in her observations of her parents talking about how afraid they were of COVID and they're struggling so much because they are so afraid of death. I thought that was really interesting and insightful of this young woman about her parents, but also just in reflecting how many people are afraid like that. And I said, maybe the next time you could share with her how sad that is, because really, I believe, and I think a lot of people around the world believe that we are part of a bigger story. Okay. Say more about that. I think that's what we're talking about with this podcast is the Christian worldview inserts us into a uh, eternal story. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just heaven and earth and hell or whatever. The story that I'm hearing is that their story is this. It's a material world. I live in a material world. This is what I got. And my material world is under threat by this virus that kills people my age. Yeah. At 98.8% survival rate. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. And people do have to be careful, obviously. And you don't just treat death casually at all. No, but, but we also don't want to be naive about death. It's, 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 it's inevitable and it's a fact. And some people are very afraid of it. Like I treat people with illness anxiety. And, you know, it's not that they're afraid of getting sick. They're afraid of getting sick with something that can't be cured and that they're going to die. That's called life. <laughs> they're already sick with life, which can't be cured and they're going to die. Well, part of the problem is that we've won so many victories, temporary victories over death. So, you know, 150 years ago, you know, you'd have one of every two children die in childhood or infancy. And, um, you know, certain things that aren't death sentences now, I think that, you know, they were in the past. And there's this sort of tacit belief, I think, that we are going to conquer death. Science, technology, we're going to lock you down till this virus burns out. That's sort of, to me, that's a very naive view of death. But what can you do if you don't have an eternal perspective? And as Christianity begins to recede, in the West at least, I see these problems coming up more. Which is why I want to talk about this, because the upside of Christianity is so clear to me and, and, and to our friends, the ones who are serious about it. And it doesn't get talked about. The positive effects of Christianity, including the physical benefits, health benefits of it, um, um, relational, emotional benefits, it's all about what you can avoid too much in the um, popular way of talking about it. Like, hey, you got to avoid hell, man. Don't do that. It's hot down there. Right. right. Or partying or fun or right. 
anything really cool that you want to try. Right. All yeah. the good stuff, right? All the and, good stuff. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, and conveniently enough, there's plenty in the literature that doesn't get promoted to talk about the real health effects and science has studied it. Okay. So we could, I was hoping we could go through that, those, and then you could also, you know, people like stories. You can talk about the transformations that you've seen. And one is you're looking at through your screen. Because when you met me, I just converted. Let's see. So when did we do baptisms? I, I came to the repented 2014 March. When? Mm-hmm. So then when was it? The summer. So March, April, May. Was it that first summer or two summers later? So I didn't wait a whole summer. Yeah. I got baptized immediately. Summer of 2014. Okay. So what? So like three months later, I was still fat. I remember how fat. <laughs> We have a river right behind our church for our listeners who don't know. Yeah, so I got baptized beautiful. by Matt in the, in the river. But this year was a hot summer. So guess what that meant for the water level? By the time you were baptized, it was a mid-late summer thing. And right. the water was pretty low right. on the and side we do, of the river. Right, and we do immersion. And you're a pretty strong guy, but I was a pretty fat guy. So I was wondering, can Matt pull me out of, you know, five inches of water? <laughs> and you were determined that you were going to get Every inch of yourself covered right, under that water and handed over to God. So you were laying on the riverbed with the yes. rocks and the crawfish and the right. But but the point is, say that to say this is I have been progressively getting healthier and healthier and healthier, right? And that, and that's by walking the Christian path, right? By following Christ. And, yeah. and, and when you feel good like that, when you feel healthy and your sleep is good and all that kind of stuff, why would you want some of those other things? Let's let's. Talk a little bit about that, if that's okay. I would love to, because I think a lot of people picture Christianity as like this old, decrepit, white person's religion, which there's plenty of old white Christians, some of whom because they're walking the walk and they have this longevity. It's really fascinating. There was a study done by Harvard a couple of years ago. I don't know if you've got your notes on that. Tell us about it. I do not know all the details, but literally a couple summers ago, Harvard came out with the study that... People who regularly worship and regularly are involved in Christian community in a church live on average 10 years longer than those that don't. Yeah. We have not just health span, but we have lifespan benefits. You live longer and you feel better while you're doing that. But what are the mechanisms about that? We can go through some of those too. Like why would going to church and listen to some people sing and maybe you sing and eat a cracker? What's that going to do? You know, there's a lot more to it than that. So first sort of observation I would have uh, is that why, well, it's it's getting better, but why would spirituality not be a part of healthcare when we see that 90% of Americans believe in, let's call it a higher power, but they do believe in the the, the transcendent, uh, the material. Most of that in America is Christian, Mm -hmm. right? Not only that, physicians, 64%. So there's a little bit of a quite a bit of an unbalanced, but still you have a good majority of physicians that even believe. So in the 90s, there were, were some uh, papers written and conventions talking about, no, we need this. The patient wants this. And not only that, it speeds wound healings up. It helps even end of life anxiety to be diminished, right? So even if you are going to die, you have a better quality of life while you're still alive. You tend to keep families intact, which we know that when families break up, there's all sorts of stressors that lead to illness, disease, tend to abuse substances less, Mm -hmm. okay? Have better moods, less depression, less anxiety. Do you, I don't see these out on Front Street at all. No, there's a narrative that I think the media is sharing that I believe comes from with spiritual roots. And, and even as kids growing up, anybody who was serious Christian, they, they were the one that ended up the wicked, mean, lonely, ugly, evil person. You know, it was the priest that turned out to be the werewolf and the um, predator and things like that. And, you know, obviously everybody has their struggles and, and becoming a Christ follower doesn't, it doesn't, automatically distance you from all of them, but it gives you this bigger story and that you are part of a bigger picture and your life is not all about you. And, you know, there's a powerful verse. One of my favorite chapters is Romans chapter 12. And so this is Paul, the apostle who met Christ when he was out persecuting Christians who came to faith later in his life. And he was hugely trained up as a Jew and as a rabbi. And 
he writes this to these people who are experiencing some challenges in Rome in the first century. And he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is Romans 12, mm-hmm. I urge you in view of God's mercy. So I think that even just saying that, if you're going through your life realizing and owning that, that you get glimpses of the mercy of God in your own life, like you were just sharing about your story, and that we see in people around us, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, to offer your bodies. Interesting, he says bodies and not just your emotions or your souls or your heart, but to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And and people in that time would think, would understand that means you are making yourself, you are putting yourself on the altar. In other words, you have a consciousness separate from your body, separate from yourself, and you are placing yourself before God. You are offering yourself over for, for this bigger story that we're talking about holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then look look at what it says next. This It gets even better. Do not conform. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, mm. but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Oh, I love that you selected that and read it because um, there are a few of those statements, and that's a strong one in Romans, that say this, do not conform to the world. That was one of those click, oh, it clicked. Now I know what the problem was. I didn't know what the problem was, which is this. The more I conform to the world and chased those idols, right? Mm-hmm. You know, moderate fame, money. Success. Success or, or, or acknowledgement by other people, maybe admiration from other people. See, he's not a loser. He's a winner kind of thing. The more behaviors followed and worries followed that were making me very sick and what a relief it was for me to say, oh, I'm not of the world anymore. I'm going to be living in a different kingdom. This is a kingdom where I'm going to be really different now because I'm, I, one more thing to follow on on that, on that is people think that they're good. Like I sort of wanted to think I was a good guy. Right? Well, I'm a good guy, right? Why would I say that if to myself if I truly believed it would just be at face apparent and I wouldn't have to say it? But you know, I but I didn't know any any better. We have to measure ourselves to a higher standard, which is Christ. Now, learn Christ, read the Gospels, right? Now, compare yourself to that. Now, you tell me that you're a good guy, Marty. Yeah, you ain't close to being a good guy. You've got resentments. You've got judgments. You, you dislike some people. You don't love everybody. You don't put God first. You don't believe in God completely. That's so, so to, to give up the world and then conform to the kingdom of God. And then all of these, the, some of the proof is just the regeneration that you have, the health that you have. And people start to notice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two things. One is the best statement I ever heard, one by Margaret Thatcher. She's, you're talking about being a good guy and you have to kind of let people know you're a good guy. Today, I guess we kind of call that virtue signaling. Yeah, yeah. And, and Margaret Thatcher back in the 1970s or 80s, she said, she was a former prime, prime minister of England, of course, of Great Britain. And she said, being a leader or a good guy is like being a lady. If you have to tell someone you are, it means you aren't. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'd say it to myself too, because I would like drink back in those days and I'd be like, oh, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. No, you're not. Just admit it and get, so you can get past it. If you never admit it, you'll never get past it. Get over yourself. Right. You know, in North America, we have so many ways of coping. We have so many ways of, of uh, insulating ourselves from our true emotions, from our clarity, from, and, and we can always turn, turn it attention onto something else. We're so well entertained. We don't have to go to that deeper level, which sometimes a couple of beers gets you to in a way that, mm-hmm. that when you become honest with yourself, Christianity is such an honest look at people. We are created in the image of God, but we are flawed by sin and by rebellion from God. That's part of that bigger story that those people were are so afraid of death because of those realities that that are a part of who we are. Yeah, it's ego crushing. To repent is ego crushing and you do want to crush that ego. That that is your image of yourself and the image that you want the world to have. And I, I can tell you though, it's it, when you do it, it's 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 freeing to be 
humble. I don't know if that sounded like I'm not being humble. I'm, I'm speaking in general terms. You're speaking in gr- terms of gratitude. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, wow, man, I don't have to carry that burden anymore because it really doesn't matter what anyone thinks about me. I don't answer to human beings, I answer to God. And if they, and I, I, we've already been told that like they'll, they'll persecute you like me. Like say something Christian in the Christian worldview to someone who really doesn't want to, who's had bad experiences with it and watch what happens. They come at you. They, they think that you're attacking them right in some way it's wild and you know you mentioned the ego and and i did take psychology 101 i want you to know did you pass i barely i think (laughs) i think i thought this is so much common sense but but then it wasn't and i did not do well so that's why i'm glad i know you oh yeah i'll get you all straightened out matt (laughs) (laughs) ego and it and super (laughs) ego and all that kind of stuff so Here's a question, though. I want to go back to living in the world. You talked about living in the world. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What had your study in psychology led you to think about yourself before you started having the dreams and before you started having this deep sorrow or this repentance or this call of God, the Holy Spirit, in your life? The question is, did I find some of this in psychology, some of the spiritual stuff? Is that it? How would you have analyzed yourself up until then? Okay, so psychology is very valuable or I wouldn't be practicing that, right? But I'm going to kind of go around a little bit but get, get your you question. Because, but because spirituality is only really since the 90s in America being viewed as essential to healthcare, we were on the lower levels. You know, everything's in a hierarchy, right? So we were looking at biological models and things like that. But if you're soul sick and you're using cognitive behavioral strategies, uh, you'll have limited. It's like sort of taking care of the symptoms and then they come back because there isn't the full transformation. But I want to tell you about a study because we ought to be doing more and more and more of this, of bringing spirituality into medical care, not just psychology, but certainly, you know, surgery, end of life care. But in PubMed, you can find a paper called Beliefs and Attitudes of hospital inpatients about faith healing and prayer. So kind of a long title, but you can find that in PubMed. The first author is uh, King, D is in Delta, D-E King. Okay, if you want to take a look at this, but I thought this was kind of fascinating because the study showed that 77% of patients thought their physicians should be considering their their own, the patient's spiritual needs. And 48%, that's nearly half, welcomed or desired that their physician would pray with them. Another 37% of physicians wanted to discuss their religious beliefs with them. Here you are with a drip and a heart monitor on and all stuff, and it still matters more than ever what's happening spiritually. And you want that, what would I say, uh, relationship, like your spirit, my spirit, doctor, patient, but we're still spiritual beings. Don't you think that, you know, it would be a good idea to continue to answer to that demand? Wow. And that's from the patients themselves who are already in the hospital. Yes. What do you need now? More orange juice? A new pillow? Uh, yeah, but I, what I really need is, you know, let, let, let's, I, I thought that that was kind of, you know, affecting to me. Um, I think it draws back the curtain when we are that much in need and mm-hmm. going through such an acute crisis of health or whatever for sure because your ego's dead go have a colonoscopy i had my first one um you you want to be humbled (laughs) and they're and they're making jokes (laughs) i I, yeah they're supposed to put you under before they start making the jokes (laughs) that's how they did they shame me i fainted (laughs) i think it's i think it's also relevant and significant that um matt where did we even get hospitals Hospitals, we, we assume that they were you know, like cave people had hospitals. No. Yeah. Where did hospitals come from? The hospitals that we know. From the church, from Christianity. From came from Christianity. Hospitality. People caring for folks other than their family members. Right. By the, by the third and fourth centuries, they were up and, 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 and running. That is Christian charity that has been secularized too. Well, sure. But, it's a good idea. Sure, but let's not forget our roots. But you know, Saint Saint Joe, Saint Joseph is um, the the system that my wife works in, right? So if you look around, you'll realize, oh, you talk about that story that I'm connected to. 
St. Joe's Hospital. Oh, where do hospitals come from? Christianity. This is a part of the healing of other human beings and the charity, right? Let's not forget that in our materialistic worldview. And when I say materialistic, I don't mean necessarily the, the acquiring of objects and wealth. I'm talking about materialism that that's all there is. Right. All there is is matter. And if the matter dies, like those two older folks are, if, if the body dies, which is what life is, and that's all I know, I'm going to be afraid. Sure. Sure. And it's very natural that you would be afraid. And it's not like Christians don't get afraid, but they've got someone to go to. They're not afraid alone. No, um, or they know how to encounter fear, right? It's paradoxical. So the research, interesting body of research around this. You've heard this politically this year. Forget your prayers or we don't need your prayers. We need this and that. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, prayer works on a lot of different levels and there's research to show that too. Listen to me backing up my spiritual beliefs with hard science. Yeah, the other way around. <laughs> but you kind of have to here because I want to integrate the two. Because God, God is a God of matter too. He created the, the matter. But what happens when we pray, it isn't that we just give up and run. We get this sense of what's called locus of control, right? Because what happens is when you're waiting for those test results mm-hmm. and you don't know what they're going to say to you, praying to non-believers think, oh, you're not going to do anything about it, right? You're just going to give up. No, actually, we get the sense of that we are doing something, that we're doing something valuable. And then the fear starts to go down a little bit. We start to feel safer. Yeah. There's meaning that you can find where you didn't have meaning before as you're just waiting. But it's not passive is my point. Yes. It's not a passive. Um, it, it helps us to feel connected and, 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 and calmer and safer. Mm-hmm. We, we did a whole podcast on that. If, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it because Matt and I like really kind of dug into this. And the more you pray, man, the more you want to pray when you get that down. And nobody seems to be confident. I mean, my first thing was like, Matt, can I pray this way? Can I, is me just sitting silently in peace, feeling connected to God a prayer? Nobody told me it was. Mm-hmm. There's a history and tradition. You told me that it was. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's so rich and so well-researched, and yet it's also one of the great frontiers we have yet to fully explore. Yeah, another thing I would want to say to you, you said something that kind of got uh, caught my interest. In our faith, in our tradition, body, material world does matter, right? And our bodies do matter because I don't know about disembodied spirits because they appear, angels appear, I think that that was the, from what I understand, in Rome where the church really flourished as Christ conquered. Yeah, as and was conquered, persecuted. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There was the idea that, that, like this platonic idea that like something's going to float out of you like an ether or something like that. That's nowhere in Christianity. The resurrection was a physical resurrection. And, and if you want to think about altered states of consciousness, like dreams, don't you always have a body in your dream? You do. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, you're never the wind or, or, or a glass of water or whatever. And not only that, but you retain your identity. You're you, right? So, so whatever you are, that spiritual mat does have a body, even when your eyes are closed, no lights hitting your retina, but you're off wandering off in a weird place where weird stuff happens. And you can see where you, you're going. You can see where you're going. You know right. who you are. Rules are different. You know, mm-hmm. here comes a snake rolling a giant donut down a hill. That doesn't belong in this world. What did you have for dinner last night? <laughs> if that's what you're dreaming. <laughs> but but we still have a body. So the body's important. So what 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 do what do we know scripturally in this beautiful tradition of ours, uh, yeah. way of life about caring for the body? There's so much. There's so much, and. Interestingly, it was the Greeks that were the ones who came along, you know, a few hundred years before Christ, before, you know, a couple hundred years BC, who talked about the separation of the physical and the spiritual. And in Christianity struggled with that when it, in its infancy, does the, is the body bad and the spirit good, you know, because they talk about sins of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. At the same time, Judaism, which is our parent religion in a way. That's how God first came and Christ came through the Jews. And and God promised way back in Genesis to Abraham that through your offspring, I will be, you will be a blessing to all nations. And it was through the seed of Abraham that Christ came eventually. But the Jews had no separation between physical and spiritual. 
It was all one. And so interestingly, God gives the words to Moses, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength Mm -hmm. and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. So, so there's not this, oh, I'm just going to pay homage. I've got this private religion going on in my spirit, but my body and I are going to do whatever the heck we want. Right. Or that we have to like flagellate it or do ascetic practices where we suffer needlessly because we hate the body or whatever. Like Christ loved his body as far as I can tell. Right. Um, right. And loved our bodies, but that's but but that dualism, that Cartesian dualism, that there's a body and a mind, that's gone away in my profession. So in mm-hmm. the DSM five, which is how we diagnose, that's a diagnostic and statistical matter. For the first time, it's taken at face that no, it's the same thing. It's a reciprocal. You and I have been talking about this a lot on the podcast. That like, look, if I have a thought, does that mean that there's no physical association between that? No, it's almost impossible. You start worrying or have a false belief, like what was that noise? Hey, I think there's someone in the house. There's no one in the house. It's going to trigger you physiologically. Absolutely. As if you were in real danger, right? So our minds have tremendous power over what happens to our bodies. And, and, And it goes the other way around too. That's why we care for our bodies and have the religious disciplines to get us in that peaceful state or joyful state where we feel close to God and recognize God. That's, it's incredible. And it, it, the psychology just completely backs up. Back to the verse I read again, Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then right, the verse two says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. When our minds are renewed as we're offering our bodies as living sacrifices, meaning I'm not my own. I'm doing this out of gratitude. I'm not doing it to manipulate God in any way. Yeah. And and then brings the thoughts that follow of, I don't want to hurt what belongs to him. You know, if I was, if I'm bought with a price, I don't want to hurt what belongs to him that wasn't, that doesn't belong to him. I want to care for his property. Yeah. The New Testament says, I am not my own. I belong to you. We've been bought with a price. And that's Christ. And, and that adds incredible value to our lives. It's not like we're done with life. We can't wait to get to heaven. No, the value has been poured into us by what we would say is the supreme sacrifice of God himself in sending his son who lived this perfect life, who didn't deserve what he got and who died a murdered guy you know, on, on a horrible, shame-filled way to go in the first century by the Roman Empire. How weird. We worship basically a homeless murdered guy. Yeah, that's why when I hear, um, oh, all religions are the same, and they have these superficial comparisons, I don't see anything like that. It's insulting if you were to say to your Muslim friend, oh, what you and I believe is the same. Oh, I, I went through that with a dear friend of mine. This guy's really gentle and whatever, but I just had a different, differing of opinion with him because um, his whole religion that he doesn't know is a religion, he just thinks it's the truth. Worldview is, oh, no, we just, everybody get along by integrating and bringing everyone together and just saying everything's equal. And I, and I had the same thought. I was like, don't you think that someone who deeply, deeply believes in Allah and, and spends lots of time and educates their family to make sure that no, no other things get in so they can, you know, retain the tradition. You really think they would want to hear that as if, hey, I got a good idea. Let's just make yours the same as everything else. Those other ones that you didn't want. See, everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a high. Yeah. And we mean it as a compliment. Well, look, he's well-intentioned. He's a sweet guy, but it's wrong. Doesn't mean <laughs> that it's that's right. correct. We, I am not being very kind to my Hindi friend my Hindu friend, if I say, oh, all this that you study and believe and have built your life around, it's the same as me. Ignorant statement or a mean statement. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we don't deeply, deeply love. J.P. Das, J.P. Das was my hero back in graduate school and he was on my committee and he's Hindu. And I uh, listened to him with great interest about his faith. I didn't switch mine over. I didn't have one actually back then, but I I still want to hear how he is. But syncretism, we don't have to get into that, but syncretism actually destroys. It doesn't unify and make things better. It it replaces both with something different. It replaces, you know, Islam and Christianity and all that with something different. That's secular. Okay. So you were talking about 1 Corinthians, which also had a great impact on me. 619, if if anyone wants to look it up. And, And when you look it up, please meditate on it. 
make sure it's a part of you. Make sure it's a part of your way, of, of the way. Okay. Soak uh, it in. Yeah. And, and until you start to live it. Yeah. Until it, it becomes automatic. Yeah. So it's, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Do we, how, do you, how do we glorify God with our bodies, Matt? Acts of service. Okay, so, okay, good. I think you're right, but tell me how. How would an act of service, my hands, my torso, mm-hmm, <laughs> my mm-hmm. unibrow, whatever, how is, that, how is that a prayer? I think you live in gratitude of it. I, I think you see your body as it's worthy of your time because it's a great means to an end. There's no way I can love you and care for you, love my wife, care for my wife, my kids, anybody, if I am unable to do it because my body is in such a state that I need to be preoccupied with that. I need to take care of it in order to let go of it Mm. and forget about it so I can do what needs to be done in the lives of other people and in my own life. That's so good. I'm glad that you said that because people have such guilt about taking care of themselves as if it's the wrong thing to do. But really what we're doing is we're, we're sort of maintenancing our instrument for the safety of others. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I really learned that, oh, I'm so selfish, you know, and, and that's uh, no wonder I'm suffering so much. But then I want to, you know, get away from that sort of thing. But I owe you a good mood. I owe you, listener, my best at this podcast. I owe my family that. And I do I feel like I owe that because I think that's God's will that we bring joy to other people. How am I going to do that if I'm not sleeping enough, if I'm um, overextended because I don't know how to say no to people, uh, if I'm drinking too much and I know the next day I'm going to be off. But So that is sort of how I take the spiritual bodily disciplines and, and, you know, and integrate the two to say that this isn't just a physical thing. I'm not trying to be vain or anything like that and, or selfish or whatever. I'm really trying to do the will of God by caring for my body, which doesn't belong to me anyway. It was given to me or I guess I would have to think about that, but you know, it was created uh, for, to do work. Um, so, so I say that to say like this guilt that you have about, um, oh, I, you know, I don't have time to rest. Who has time to rest? Oh, you commanded to rest for, with good reasons. We're put in charge of ourselves. We go back to it again. We talked about this Sunday morning because you and I got to share at church as the sermon time. And we talked about one of the gifts, one of the fruits, the results of having the spirit of, in your life is self-control. Yeah, I love talking about that. I don't because I don't practice you, you, it. <laughs> okay, well, hold on though. Let me say this, and this has been shown over and over. The people who think that they don't have something like self-control or whatever, usually have it in spades compared to other people. They just have such a high view of what it could be, right? So it's not that you don't have enough. It's just that you'll never have it like you want it or that Christ had it. So, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing to humbly look at ourselves and go, you know, I could do more, you know, I, I could definitely do more. I would love to follow this. I think this kind of fleshes it out in Romans chapter 12 again. Right after it says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to approve and test what God's will is, good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and according to the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. You are designed to be a part of this body of Christ. You as you are right now. Each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. I love that. I don't, if I'm trying to make you like me, I am doing everybody a disservice. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If a woman's gift is serving, let her serve. If his is teaching, let him teach. If hers is encouraging, let her encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. If it's leadership, let them govern diligently. There's this unction here. If it is showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. And then it says love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. 
Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll keep burning coals on their head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, that is not the pattern of this world. That is not the pattern of this world. That is the pattern of the kingdom of God. Okay, And it's so rich and it's so full and it's so rewarding. It's no wonder it lends itself to healthy living today. You know, I follow Jesus, not just because I might die tomorrow, but because I probably won't. That's, that's exactly right. That's so good. We look at eschatology and then time so much. I'm like, no, you want this here. Yeah. And it's so much easier. And what you said, because early on, I told you like the scriptures were like, you know, it was like honey to me. I just, it was so sweet and I could just take it in. It was, couldn't stay away. From, and still I love to study them every day. But when I got to the part about we're all members of the body of Christ, it was like a new idea to me. And you know what it, what it ended something bad that it ended when I, um, when I really got that in, like, oh, we're all members. I stopped comparing myself to others, right? Because that's just not, I, I'm, that's dumb. And, and because we're one body, I'm happy that they're better than me at that because we need that, you know? Right. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to be good at this. even though Yeah, and I suck at it because I'm better at something else and I'm, it's, it's okay. But that's, see, there's so much good health advice because what they say about comparison is the thief of joy. So that was mm-hmm. attributed to Teddy Roosevelt. I don't know who really said it, but right, probably his grandpa. <laughs> hey, well, I want to tell you the story of Thelma Wilmoth. Because some would think Thelma's life was a tragedy. She lost her son. She had lost her husband years ago. But her life was anything but that. She lived to be almost 99. And she invested herself in people. She spread so much love around. She left these lasting treasures in the lives of so many people. She didn't have a big house. She had enough money. And she made community her life. And she plugged in at her church and she wasn't assuming in any way. And she cared for our family. And, and when she needed help, we were able to care for her. And, and she came and lived with us for a while. And then we got her into a really beautiful facility that we visited her multiple times every week. Not facility. It's a senior living community. It's paradise. It, let's call it a senior paradise. paradise. Yeah. But I know another lady and I had to go over to her house and she had so isolated herself, beautiful things. She always was a classy lady, but she ended her life paranoid that her niece and nephew who were trying to help care for her, she drove them off because she thought they were stealing from her. Was she? Did she have some dementia? I don't think at this point, no. But she had driven everybody else away from her. But she wasn't pouring herself out in the way that like this Romans chapter 12, part of the body of Christ. She was making it all about her beautiful things that she had at her home. And she had very expensive tastes and very beautiful things. But her life had gotten so small and she was so isolated. Have you preached a sermon just on that story? I need to. You got it. That's so beautiful because it's juxtaposed the two different ways through life and what you get. You know, and it's paradoxical too because we think that by acquiring more things and and um, having more than the other person that that's that that's where the life is. That's the pattern of there's this world. Some, and there's some security there. And all you end up with in the end is a whole lot of crap to dust. <laughs> Versus Thelma, who didn't have so much, but she had everything because she had poured herself out into people. And and Jesus said, "Don't store up your treasures on earth." where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where things don't get destroyed, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think there's something literally, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually healthy about realizing you're part of this bigger story. Oh, it, it, calms, our, it calms us right down. 
It gives because what we're lacking right now, as the Christian worldview sorts of is beginning to recede. Now it'll come back because of the generations. I think the vibe. I think revival's coming. I can see it all around us, and sometimes it has to get you know worse before it gets better, just to get people's attention. But now I've lost my point. <laughs> About, about. Do you ever know, up you ever know how I set up this thing like it's gonna be great, and then I forget, and it never comes through. <laughs> you know, like, you got a nice setup, but there was no. You got the wrapper. That's <laughs> right. It's so it's, deep. There was no prize in that Cracker Jack bag for you <laughs> this time. Well, talking about you know these lives lived, and who you live it for, and are you a part of a bigger story? Or are you the story? Oh, I, yeah, exactly. Because right now we have a meaning crisis because the things that we shared before, just things that I took for granted because I grew up with them. For instance, that, you know, there's a way back for you if you screw up. So you do something, you publicly apologize, and then people welcome you back. And that's a very Christian notion. I'm not really seeing that like I used to anymore. Matter of fact, even if you didn't do anything wrong, we'll dig back into your tweets, find it. And then rather than accept you, we do the opposite, the antichrist thing, which is we cancel you. You're banished. You're you're You can't make a living or anything like that. That's a serious evil that I hadn't seen before. You're no longer a part of it, right? And we we've already talked about how loneliness kills. You know, one good thing about the health effect of this is when you have a family, a church family, because you know a lot of people didn't have a father, a, a one that they, you know, could count on, and you really know that you do have a father, and he's a great model of a father. And not only that, but you do have a family. You have people, you know, when this thing happened with Kathy with the breast cancer, you think we were alone? Man, there's, there's, we have people delivering food out to a cooler. Now, why are they doing that? Like, wait, there's a cooler out there. It's actually, it's like, you know, it's, you know how a drive-through mm-hmm. works? And we're the opposite of that. People drive to us and deliver the food, <laughs> right? Or calling to find out, or someone um, anonymously sent a blanket. Uh, the, this is the, wasn't around before Christianity. Now, somebody will argue with me and say, oh, you don't know that, that no one ever did that. I didn't say that. Okay, God's been around before those texts. I'm not saying no one was touched by the Spirit, but I do listen to historians and read them. And um, this was not the way of the world, and there weren't any governments built upon this. It was unprecedented. Exactly. So some other health things I've been thinking about, like if you really want to be serious about it and really read and get the, the good health. And then look, I'm not nearly as fat as I was before, right? You saw me change spiritually, physically, socially, vocationally. Man, I just so you, you really are born again. You, know, you, you, you even physically, you're, 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 you may be same DNA, but it's why it's why they call it new life. Who calls Christ. it that? I hadn't heard that. Is it what, is that part of our tradition? New yeah. life. Yeah, being born again into new life in Christ. You receive new life in Christ. Okay. Yeah, I don't use that very often, but that's right. That's exactly it's not res- it's not resuscitated life. It's not zombie life. It's mm-hmm. resurrection life. Got you. Yeah. So so another thing that really helped me with the wisdom of the body and the health and all that was, it was fasting. When I saw that there was fasting involved in this thing, I want to get in, in, in on it. Okay. So somehow that wisdom of fasting, cause it is, it's assumed that we're going to fast. Now, what does that mean? Different things are different ways of fasting, but it is assumed that we're going to fast. That is part of our being this Christian follower. Okay. So, so why do that? Why we can talk about the qualitative things like what you feel, which is really awesome. So I can see that. But what we're learning through science now, because we have a diabetes epidemic, really skewing younger and doing all sorts of damage to our healthcare system and individual lives. We're learning that it increases insulin sensitivity. Now with Christ going on, we got to increase your insulin sensitivity. You know, I don't think so. Still had the but he effect, knew all right? about it, but he, yeah. Right, but uh, fights inflammation. We know that most of the thing, the two things that kill us involve inflammation, right? Cancer, heart disease. Lowers blood pressure, improves cholesterol profile. Jason Fung at, uh, I think he's at University of Toronto, is curing diabetes through, through fasting, type 2. And, and there is one case of type 1 last I checked. Is that a transformation? right? I can make insulin now and it actually works on that. Uh, it, and it also improves brain function and even structure of the brain. It can, it's healing to do this stuff. So did also increases growth hormone, all, all sorts of just wonderful life affirming, you know, consequences from that. So that's really different than the view of, oh, you have to fast and, you know, um, suffer for a while and feel pain and all that kind of stuff. When God gives us these things to do, he does it because God is life affirming. Yeah, he is love. 
Yes. And he wants to enrich our lives in so many ways, not just for the sake of having an enriched life, but for the sake of spreading the life around to as many people as, as are open to it. Right on. So if we were to like kind of check down right now, let's think about our practice as, as Methodists, right? Which I love Methodism because you actually get to do something. Right. And people want to do something. It's right. not just a, it's a way to respond. Yeah. There are other traditions, but this one I really like a lot because it answered a need of that. Of like, no, we need transformation. We need, they be met outside and all this stuff. You know, you're an expert on this. I'm not, but let's take a look at what we do and find out if they have health effects. Uh, are there positive health effects through prayer? There's a whole literature around it. And you can talk to people and find out it's actually good. Blood pressure goes down. We, we mentioned a few of them earlier. So just to have a prayer life is a step into a, a healthy can I just say something about prayer life? Yeah, please. When Peter was walking on water for a little bit, and then he his eyes went on the waves, and then he panicked, and he started sinking. His prayer was, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. If you don't know what to pray, you can pray that. Lord, save me. Uh, pray that and do the other things, too. Because right. it's so quick. Because that's what I'll do. I just, um, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. I have these things ready to go when I'm having that feeling of stress. And what it does is it gets me out of the world and back at the higher things that I'm supposed to be looking at. I just want to encourage people to try prayer if you haven't ever before. Yeah, isn't it kind of the foundation of what we do, right? Because that's what is prayer? I mean, it, it isn't a um, Christmas list that you're making for material things. Yeah, there can be some over it. What it is, is it is a communion with God. It's a, it, it's a feeling of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. That's what I think it is. Now, why would you not want to do a lot of that? Well, because you're not in a practice of it. So you practice it or schedule the time because, you know, I've, I like New Year's resolutions. So I generally do a devotion in the morning and sometimes I miss it trying to fix that. But I want three times a day like our ancestors did. Right. I want the morning. I want to start it and then a brief one at noon and then one at night. I do the first two fairly often, but that night one, why? Why don't I I don't even know why I don't do it, right? If I say I want to. So I'm gonna work on 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 that and being prayerful all uh through the day. Like the Jesus prayer we were talking about. Just just breathe and uh Lord have mercy. Right, say mercy, Lord have mercy or Okay, so prayer is one thing, so we know that that can lead to health. What about just getting together and singing? There's so much research on the power of singing, the power of singing with other people. I know it's COVID, and so it's a little tough right now, but it has been well-documented. The idea of worshiping, the idea of getting your eyes off of whatever you just came from and putting your eyes on what God has done and what God is has yet to do in our lives, in our world, the idea of getting together for worship, the idea of getting together for fellowship, the idea of getting together for coffee, the idea of sharing space, doing life together is like nothing else. And it fights the isolation, it fights the loneliness, it fights the going stir crazy, it fights all of that. Yes. And not only that, those are important things, but we're not just there you know, sometimes you play cards or something, um, you know, if there's an event or whatever, but we're there to together praise the highest thing. And, and, and those harmonies, what they do to the bodies and music's a mystery to me, right? But I do know one thing, if I want to change the way I feel is really quickly, music will do that. Okay, so there's another helpful practice that we're, if we're going to, what else do we do in, in terms of our, we have prayer, we have the, the meeting, alms, almsgiving, just service, just giving them. Um, uh, and we know, look, psychology will back all of this stuff up. You can look, what, what does generosity do? And then they'll, they'll, they'll hook you up to some uh, biofeedback stuff and check your blood assays and stuff to prove to you that, yes, this is really helpful to, to, to just give and be generous is a, is a spiritual practice for us with wonderful health effects. You know, and so what are the other ones? In terms of giving, three ways to look at it, your time, your talent, your treasure your time, to spend time listening to somebody, to spend time giving, to serve once a week, to serve once a month, to, to do that. Your talent, there's things that you can do that other people can't. You think everybody should be able to because you can so easily in certain areas, but that's not how we're wired. We're all different members of this body. And so find a way that you can serve and then your treasure. And that means your finances. Find a way, a healthy portfolio always includes giving. And it's good for you. 
Let's not forget that. That's the, the, the subject of the show. It's good for you. It's not a burden. Like, I, I liked it. That, that, oh, man, I, I forget. I'm not good at quoting the scripture. I just remember the essence I'll of it. But it. For this is the love of God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Is it First John? Shepherd? I don't know. Uh, there is there is some stuff very similar to that in First John. Yeah, and, his, and his commands are not burdensome. I mean, that's the important point because Christianity in the West too often is sold as – I'll do it when I'm older, you know, when, you know, because like, it's going to be a burden. No, there's joy in following this. That's the point. Mm -hmm. When you said I'll do it when I'm older, I just want to say uh, something that I was thinking of as I was thinking of this legacy and storing up for yourself treasures. And I was thinking of Thelma Wilmoth's life. That sounds like I'm listening. Thelma Wilmoth. But Jesus commanded lay up treasures in heaven isn't just for 93 year old women. It's not for just 70 year old men. It's for 14 year old boys and 22 year old college students and 40 year old guys who are trying to provide for their families. You know, it's, it's the idea of building up these lasting treasures like we're talking about in the discipline. It's not just for old ladies. It's for every age in every stage of, of our lives is how we build up this. And the rewards begin appearing immediately, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's why we want to talk about these health things. So mm -hmm. I'm, that's what I got. You want to pray? It's so good. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you that we are a part of a bigger story. I thank you, God, that even in the face of fear of death, which all of us may have to a certain extent at different times in our lives, Lord, that you are over all fear and your perfect love casts out fear, um, as, as scripture says. Lord, I thank you that you have called us to live robust and abundant lives in you. And sometimes that means really quiet when nobody's noticing. And other times it means putting ourselves out there in a way and I thank you, God, that we don't have to do it alone, but that you call us into community, into relationship. Lord, so many people aren't just looking for a friendly church. They're just looking for friends wherever we can find people that, that are also seeking you and building one another up like the body of Christ. Thank you, God, that you do care about our minds and that you've said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can see what your will is. We pray for your will and we pray thanksgiving for this opportunity we have to talk through these things. And for all the listeners, God, we pray you help us take our next step to you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show head over to drmartinfletcher.com.